tell you what. Do you ever feel like Charlie Brown at the beginning of that clip? Stupid, dumb, like all you do is goof everything up, make a mess. Like your life is just a series of blunders and mistakes. Come on, we have some Charlie Browns in here, right? Besides the one real Charlie Brown that attends church here, which is precious. And if you don't know the real Charlie Brown here, you should. But why is Linus's message of good news, why is it still good news? Why was it good news to Charlie Brown? And why is it good news to us now? At Jesus' birth, the angels heralded. That word just means declared. We sing Hark the Herald, or maybe your kids sang it like mine did, Hark it's Herald. Heralded, they, they proclaimed the good news. The angels heralded the inbreaking of peace to humankind. The power of peace is what we're talking about today as we continue our Advent series on the inbreaking of the kingdom at Christmas. But what kind of peace does God bring to a troubled world? About 700 years before the birth of Jesus, if I have my timing right, a prophet by the name of Isaiah said this about the anticipated Messiah or Savior of Israel. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Sounds pretty good, eh? I don't know about you. I can't read those verses without hearing bum, 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 hallelujah. Anybody else? Hallelujah chorus. Okay. So good. We've been writing those verses, singing those verses for ages because they were such a big deal. The Israelites were waiting for, hoping for, and trusting in a coming king who would restore their country to greatness, save them from their enemies, and bring a peace that would last. And they were waiting for a really long time. Jesus was born, fulfilling in his birth, life, death, and resurrection all of the Old Testament prophecies that had been given. And yet, he wasn't a military leader. Jesus wasn't a ruling king. He never occupied the throne of Israel. How is this man, the awaited prince of peace, that the Israelites had hoped for? How was justice and righteousness established from that time on and forever? Do you see how the Israelites could have missed it? It makes sense. Like they were looking for a particular thing. They were looking for a savior on the throne. Just like sometimes we look for a savior on our Capitol Hill. They missed it. Do you see why there might have been a little disappointment 
about Jesus. The peace that they hoped for was merely a physical peace. Relieve us from all of our junk, oh God. Relieve us from this stress that we feel. I can identify with that. (laughs) They wanted a physical peace, a right now, microwave Jesus peace. And like them, if we don't understand what kind of Jesus, what kind of peace broke in, we can easily become disillusioned in our circumstances too, just like the Israelites. Oh, we Charlie Browns. Now, looking at the ministry of Jesus, I have to be really honest. I don't see a lot of peace. I'm just going to be for real. I don't look at his life and go, oh, there it is. Peace, man. With the beatnik and the, you know, no. It's not what we associate with peace. Jesus was not driving around town in his luxury SUV with air conditioning. He didn't even have a house. He and his best mates were kicked out of many of the towns that they visited, some chased by angry mobs. Jesus was lied about, called terrible names, and ultimately arrested, beaten, and crucified for crimes he didn't commit. Oh, and when all that went down, where were his friends? Hiding, claiming they didn't even know him. He was abandoned. Oh, that sounds awesome, Paige. Sign me up for that piece. (laughs) So when the angels burst in that night on a hill, declaring peace has come. What were they talking about? First of all, they were declaring that the Savior who had just been born was indeed flesh and blood. He is born. In that humanity, he would share in our sorrows. He would share in our pain our abandonment, even share in our death. The Holy One of Israel would know. You see, Jesus is acquainted with our troubles. Don't miss this. (laughs) Jesus came in a way that no other God had ever interacted with humanity. No God that these people had ever heard of, wanted to be with them. Does that make sense? It was, do this and I'll, you'll assuage my anger. Serve me and I won't kill your crops. That was what they understood of God. So a God that comes as a baby vulnerable, breakable, fragile. That was different. And it it makes us able to hope because he shared with us 
the book of Philippians chapter two tells us that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That was very different. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is good news to us because Jesus understood that our circumstances, if we let them, have the power to take away peace if we don't understand how he gives it in the first place. So we're going to look today at two examples from the Gospel of Luke that illustrate what the angels knew. The Prince of Peace had power to speak into the most turbulent situations and bring the calm of God to a moment. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 8. Feel free to continue following along on the screen or in your Bibles. You can also hop onto our free Wi-Fi if you prefer to use a device. Um, That's Luke chapter 8, and we're starting with verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got in the boat and set out. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided. And all was calm. In this famous story, Jesus shows that no storm is too big for his peace to break in with calming, quieting power. The Hebrew word for for peace, shalom, speaks of peace that breaks in where fear is holding court. Now, I've never been in a boat in a situation like that. But in my time walking with Jesus, I've had a lot of times of great distress that he came and brought peace and calming. Peace that I can't understand. In April of 2000, when my first child was just about one, my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. I was 27. Less than four months later, on August 2nd, early in the morning, the phone rang. My dad was calling to let me know that mom was gone. Ugh! The grief. And what made it so difficult for our family was my dad had been sick for years. Over and over and over. Cancer after cancer. A completely unrelated liver disease that resulted in a liver transplant. Multiple maladies, people. And this man is the energizer dude. He just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And mom, bam, gone. Dad's still around. 17 years later, 
It was so fast. So unfair feeling. She was really young. She was 55. The closer I get to that number, the harder that is to, to, to get. But guys, there was so much peace. I can't explain the weeks, the months after she died. Yeah, there was grief. Yeah, I cried a lot. I was even angry. But even in all that stuff, there was this this place of solid something that I can only tell you was peace about knowing who she was, where she was, what God had done in her life, and watching her walk through the journey of death's door with her own peace, her own place of bedrock and trust in Jesus. We grieved with hope, and we rode that storm out knowing that we would, we will see her again. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, shouldn't I be more upset? Like, shouldn't I feel more turbulent? And I was plenty upset. Like I said, there were tears, there was crying. But there was so much peace that it almost felt wrong. Peace that passes understanding in our stormiest places where it makes no sense that bedrock is there and we stand firmly on a truth and on a person whose name is Prince of Peace. Now, if we keep reading in Luke 8, we pick up the story where it left off because these stories connect. That's the fun thing about reading through them in the Bible. These stories connect. We pick up where we left off. Jesus and the disciples have sailed across the Sea of Galilee. They stopped their freakout session. God proved himself on the water that day. But here they have another remarkable encounter. We're going to start in verse 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the God most high? I beg you, don't torture me. Isn't that a funny thing? You don't hear that very often. Don't torture me, Jesus. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of this man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. Such an odd story. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. 
When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Whew! There's a lot going on in that story. First, we have a naked dude. That's enough right there. I don't encounter a lot of naked people in my ministry, just saying. It's weird. Then there's legion, this multitude of demons that have driven this poor man mad. There's the driving out of the demons into pigs. Then these pigs commit mass hogicide in the lake at the presence of the demons. Yes, I coined a new phrase. And then we see all the people who've witnessed this freaking out. Our pigs just went and drowned themselves. What pigs drowned themselves? I don't know. They're freaking out because something has happened. It's easy to get distracted by all of this stuff that's happening in this story and miss the beauty of the point. The point of the story is what happens to the man. The point of the story is found in the moment that we see that man sitting in his right mind at the feet of Jesus, healed, whole, free. Whoa. He is free from being controlled within, and the resulting peace follows him the rest of his life. The story goes on that he goes around and tells everyone what God has done for him. You see, Jesus is the healer of our minds. Now, this story may feel miles away (laughs) from your daily experiences. I've never been demonized into living naked in a cemetery. True story. But it really and truly isn't that far from our daily lives. Oftentimes, it's our internal struggles, the stuff that we battle with that no one ever sees, no one ever knows about, that steal and rob us of peace. My demons look like busyness. My demons are named distraction, worry, fear, depression, anxiety. But let's notice a couple of things about this man. First, he sees Jesus and he approaches him. Guys, that takes an intentional... Yo, I had to get off of my little post and walk over to approach Vince just now. It's purposeful. The man does something on purpose. He approaches Jesus. Then he falls at his feet. Even after he's healed, where do we see him sitting? At Jesus' feet. 
he runs to Jesus. And more than once we see him placing himself at the feet of the man who set him free. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. I struggle with this posture of running to, we just sang that, run into your arms. But my culture tells me, you don't need anyone. You got this, Paige. You're smart. You can do it. Be strong. That's what my culture says to me. Maintain control. But do you see how this might, this attitude, and it's a very American attitude too. Do you see how this attitude affects how we view Jesus as a people? How we approach him? Our posture matters. Needing Jesus sounds like weakness in our culture. Dependence is seen as a crutch. And those who participate in such things are stupid and unenlightened. I feel offended even saying that. (laughs) But scripture paints such a different picture. When we're weak, we are... uh, Let's do that again because you need to say that louder. When we are weak, we are... Strong. Strong. When fear grips us, crying out to Jesus brings the kingdom peace that we need so desperately. Those inner forces that we battle with, that ensnare us, that lead us astray, are driven out. These are moments that we invite Jesus into And in the kingdom glory, he breaks in. Friends, Jesus wants to heal our minds. I'm not saying that's not a process. There are times when Jesus, the Holy Spirit breaks in and we see a moment like with the the demon-possessed man where he is free. We don't know how long he had to work that out in his life. Do you know what I'm saying? There's freedom and then there's the working out of our freedom. Peace, just like so many elements of the kingdom, there's a now and a as we go. Our struggles, our inner struggles can torment us and rob us of the very thing that Jesus came to give us. Abundant life. If we took a poll, it'd be interesting to see how many of us sitting in churches in Rala today would say they feel they live an abundant life. I'd be interested to see because we know it doesn't have anything to do with money. Abundant life is not about our bank accounts, is it? Church. But are we living abundant lives or are we letting an enemy steal from us the peace that our prince came to bring us we participate our posture matters so what's what's warring 
in you today? Do you have a battle going on? Where is your peace threatened? Because we are conquerors. We are conquerors. Would we today say, let's posture ourselves to sit at the feet of Jesus, invite his presence, invite a peace that passes all understanding. As we humble ourselves, we invite peace, the power of peace. At Christmas and all throughout the year, the prayer team is gonna be making their way forward. Did you know you can actually ask for peace? Just like we're told, ask for wisdom and it'll be given to you. You can ask for peace. You can ask for help. Our prayer team is going to be up here. And you can pray to experience in-breaking peace right now. But guys, they're here to pray with you for any reason. You come here week after week, shouldering your burdens. And the world would say, no, you need to keep that to yourself. Nobody needs to know about that. Or, I've got this. I can handle it. I have to be strong. No, you don't. Be weak. Be weak with me. (laughs) Be weak with me and let the strength of God show that his ways are higher than our ways. We try to figure stuff out on our own. And like Charlie Brown, it's, oh, rats. We make a mess of things because he has power to give us his power, not Paige's power. Not my great thoughts, his great thoughts. Not my way, his great way. So whatever you came in here with, if you feel turmoil, I invite you to step up and see one of these lovely people and let them pray for you. 